Second Captains on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Audi Ireland. Future is an attitude. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Happy New Year's Eve, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Second Captain Saturday with Owen McDevitt and Kieran Murphy. Hey, Murph. Hey, Owen. How's it going? Before we go any further, I have to say for the record, we already have our hero of today's show, and that's you, Kieran, oh, for rising Lazarus-like <laughs> from your sick bed to record from your home studio. You're barely functioning as a human oh, being, but you weren't uh, going to miss this one. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want your praise. Wouldn't miss this one for the yeah. world. So even though I am laid low with one of, I think, like the six dozen... Uh, viruses floating around <laughs> Ireland at the moment. I am still here. I am reporting for duty. No, sir. you sound good. Your 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 energy is there. You sound like you're I mean, you've got a good good New Year's Eve head on you. Despite yeah, I've, the, I've, the I've taken a lot of caffeine tablets on, but whatever is getting me through here. <laughs> I don't want to be talking to you in an hour's time after you finish this. I don't know what state you'll be in there, but for now, yeah. it's perfectly acceptable. So earlier this year, we brought you our latest series of Second Captain Saturday, spending each week in the company of one incredible guest who would speak to us about their life and their achievement before staking their claim to become our greatest non-sports person, sports person of 2022. That award, deservedly, went to the wonderful Kit Duvall, and that's where it's going to stay no matter what happens today. For one thing, I would not want to be the person informing Kit that someone else has swooped in Mm. and taken her title on the penultimate day of the year. You do not want to mess with Kit Duvall. That became clear when we chatted to her. So this time, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I brought the rule book in here with me, Murph, but I I kind of have a feeling I won't be needing it now. Well, I want you to take that rule book on, and I want you to throw it out your nearest window. It is of no further use to us. Boom, gone. Because uh, for the Second Captain's New Year special... For the first time ever, we're bringing two guests on at the same time to lay out both of their sporting lives in a one-on-one, head-to-head duel where only one can emerge victorious. This is going to be tense. We're talking about two high-quality guests at that, both of whom are no strangers to taking home prestigious trophies. Sinead Gleeson is a regular winner at the Unpussed Irish Book of the Year Awards in 2015 and 2016 for her anthologies of Irish women writers. And then in 2019, she won the Nonfiction Book of the Year for Constellations, her extraordinary memoir detailing how she's lived her life with serious health problems going back to her teenage years when she spent a lot of time in and out of hospital and on crutches with what was eventually diagnosed mm. as monoarticular arthritis. It really is. It's an absolutely incredible book. Ah, what a book. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's insanely good. Sinead was a keen sports person up to that point when she was a kid, as you're going to hear in our chat. And knowing that, I think knowing that that's the case adds even more poignancy to one of the standout passages of the early part of Constellations when she writes about the body as an afterthought. We don't stop to think of how the heart beats its steady rhythm or watch our metatarsals fan out with every step. Unless it's involved in pleasure or pain, we pay this moving mass of vessel, blood and bone no mind. The lungs inflate, muscles contract, and there is no reason to assume they won't keep on doing so. Until one day, something changes. A corporeal blip, the body, its presence, its weight, is both an unignorable entity and routinely taken for granted. Now that's writing. That is some pretty mm. pretty damn fine writing and right there. So guess number one. Yeah, I, I want to say is there like kind of a f- an Easter egg there for uh, her fellow football fans, just with the mention of the word metatarsals there. Oh yeah. You know, it has a very specific me- Maybe it's something we can get into. Guess number one. Sinead Gleeson. But who is her opponent today, Murph? Well, on. if I told you he walked away with this year's Irish Sports Book of the Year award for his brilliant autobiography with the world and Olympic champion 
Kelly Harrington, would that ring any bells? Mm-hmm. How about I throw in a little Booker Prize for Paddy <laughs> Clark? Ha ha ha! The I've Booker that, Prize, that prize yeah. you've probably heard of it. Or if I mentioned the Barrytown trilogy, which to this day for me is the greatest evocation of Dublin working class life in the latter part of the twentieth century, and which also enshrined Italian ninety in the Irish literary canon forevermore. Do I have your attention yet, Owen? Oh, That's you right. have it, Berth. Absolutely. Yes, of course, the legendary Roddy Doyle, courageous enough to put his entire reputation on the line <laughs> just to give you listeners some entertaining radio to see you one hour closer to 2023. That's the kind of guest we're dealing with here today. I think you can quite easily draw a line, a direct line from the Barrytown books to his Kelly autobiography this year. Oh, so yeah. there, are, there are all sorts of stories of Kelly getting taken for a walk by a giant dog her parents had just bought. Kelly fighting off a burglar while her German neighbour looks on approvingly. A lot of these scenes would not have looked out of place in the van or not at all. the commitments. Yeah, I highly recommend that Kelly book if you haven't read it already this year. Like I said, Kit Duvall's title is Safe Today is a direct shootout between Roddy Doyle and Sinead Gleeson on the second captain's This Sporting Life head-to-head special. Now, it's New Year's Eve. Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. I'm going to enjoy myself first. It's good to be wise when you're young. Because you can only be young, but for once. Enjoy yourself and have lots of fun. So good at what my brother never done. Enjoy yourself. It's later. The late, great Terry Hall on lead vocals, who sadly passed away just before Christmas. A truly iconic British frontman at a hugely important time. I know our guests today would approve of the band and the song. That's Enjoy Yourself, It's Later Than You Think by The Specials. History will be made on today's Second Captain's New Year's Eve special. For the very first time, we have not one, but two incredible guests in studio, ready to put their sporting achievements on the line in direct head-to-head battle. Two of Ireland's finest writers, they arrive here as friends, but will that friendship survive the fierce competition that is about to unfold? Sinead Lees and Roddy Doyle, welcome to studio, and may I commend you both on your bravery. Uh, uh, thank you. I, I think actually I've been very silly because there's. I was asked to pick somebody that I like and who I could chat to about sport and somebody else was suggesting to me and I was like, no, Roddy. And I went, hold on a second, Roddy knows way more about sport than me. This is a stupid decision. Well, actually, my ignorance of sport other than football is almost, I would imagine, total. (laughs) Well, listen, we will be the judge, but can you guys confirm first that you're friends, you've got a good relationship here? Yeah, Yeah, up to now. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're both pleased when we see each other. (laughs) But that's the definition of friendship, isn't it, please? Is this a recent thing? How do you guys know each other? I think I probably had interviewed you a few mm. times before I was kind of writing myself. I remember I we were doing an event in Ennis and I think yeah. that's the day I found out I had the book deal for Constellations yeah. and of course we went to the pub. Yes. Um, as you do to celebrate book deals, but we've always but we always talk about football whenever we do. We do, meet. yeah. yeah. The, the usual music, books and football. Yeah. Not necessarily in that order. No, yeah, that's so. always the chat. Yeah. 
And I remember, you know, when you send a first book out and you hope that people will read it because you try and get the dreaded blurbs, you're trying to get people to say nice things about your book and you don't know who a book, especially a book like Constellations, will be for. And Roddy sent me a really lovely long email about it and was very kind about it. And to have somebody like Roddy's name and uh, on the book meant an awful lot, actually. So, oh, it's yeah. a brilliant book, though. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Is that something that you are conscious of, have been conscious of in your career to try to be supportive of newer writers? Try to get the balance right. I like to be supportive without being, I suppose, patronising, I suppose. But I'm sent an awful lot of proofs. And if I gave up my own job and stopped sleeping, I wouldn't get around to reading them all, you know. But I try, I pick and choose. So when, you know, when Sinead's book arrives, I drop everything to read Mm -hmm. it because, not just because I, I like Sinead, but because I know it's going to be great, you know. Well, listen, I feel, I almost feel bad that we have to end this friendship today because it sounds like it's been great so far. Murph, can you outline what's going to happen here in our first ever This Sporting Life head-to-head, please? I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Well, yes, son, it's a historic day today as we pit two of our guests against each other for the first time ever. Traditionally, Everyone's a winner on second captains, whether their own sporting highlights are beating former Olympians like Malcolm Gladwell or once getting a hurling helmet for Christmas like Maeve Higgins. But that changes today at the end of the proceedings and in true festive spirit, we will have one winner and one loser. I will judge our guests on their all-time sporting highlight, their respective sporting backgrounds. And for the first time ever, there will also be a secret bonus round mm. at the end of the show. Bonus round, on more on that to come. Wow, this is a special show. So, Sinead, let's start. Was sport big in your house growing up? Absolutely massive, um, particularly. And I, I would have been originally said football, but when I was talking to Mark, or, you know, I remember we watched all the, the box and stuff. So when there was an Irish connection, so that, you know, you'd watch Sonia running, you'd watch the Barry McGuigan fights. Um, but it was always football, and that kind of comes from... Both my parents, my mum and dad were really into football, both my brothers, all my extended family. Um, so we, there was always football on. When there was matches on, it was United and the Cup and, you know, all those big events like watching Hillsborough as it happened and stuff. So And we and we went to matches. So my parents were, were Pats fans as well. So we went to the Pats games, we went to the Ireland games, we watched United. But yeah, so it was it was a big thing. So, so is your, your mum was a big Man United fan? Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. She was. I was asking her about this and she said that it was... She was 12 when the Munich disaster happened and because I think Liam Whelan, another Irish connection, she decided to start supporting United. And my dad, when he's a teenager, he played for Home Farm for a year, but he was, right. he was really into music and he played bass. He still does play bass. Um, and he said the music was calling him. He couldn't do rehearsals and uh, practice. Yeah. So he went off and uh, did that. So they again, they kind of bonded, I think, over over football. They, they went to matches together and, and we've brought us to kind of be... United fans. It's interesting that your that your mum was a fan in that era because it wouldn't be our stereotypical view maybe of women of that time that, that they'd be massively into the football. Yeah, it was unusual. And even when I was growing up, I didn't often meet a lot of women who liked football or I could talk football mm. with. But I just, I spent a lot of time with my brothers taught me football. What position did your dad play? Even though he was right footer, he played left back. Why am I not surprised that a bass player would play? <laughs> it's, I was just thinking, is there a correlation? Because it's... Reliable. (laughs) Consistent. Consistent, reliable. Less ego. You know, happy enough to be in the background. Charlie Watts, you know. 
That is totally. Or my dad. A drama. Yeah, 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 that's totally my dad. But um, but again, but neither of them have ever lost that kind of love of football, and yeah. they they still go to matches, and they've been away for Ireland games, and they still and they still go and see St Pat's. So there's, it's still there. It's can, lifelong. Can you tell us where they went for their twenty fifth wedding anniversary? <laughs> they they went to uh, they went to London, and they were going to go. They somebody had bought them one ticket because again pre internet and not been well connected. They'd gotten one ticket for the Milk Cup, which is now the Caribou Cup, obviously, um, to see United and Villa in London. And they went down to the game thinking, we'll find a scout or, you know, a scalper. We'll find some house. Someone's going to get a ticket. would be grand. And of course, they didn't. And, you know, this was the big moment of their 25th anniversary. My mother went, right, so I'm going in and left my dad outside. I need to listen on a radio with some, he said it was some, some lovely homeless guy had a radio and said, you can listen with me. So my dad was left outside and my mum so went sorry, 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 Just to clarify, why, why, did the, why was there only one ticket for this big Because event? somebody, a friend of my dad's got the money, he said, I, he, he had some connections. He said, I could only get one. They were like gold dust, couldn't get any more. And they went, because you can get lucky sometimes if you go up to grounds. Well, not so much now, but you could then. You could waltz up. And they, they were determined to get another ticket and it didn't happen. But she left them outside. Yeah, the romance of 25 <laughs> years, your gold wedding anniversary. And I'll see you after the 90 minutes. They were beaten by Aston Villa that yeah, day. I so know. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, your, your dad probably <laughs> got the better end he of did, it there. yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah, for the karma. Roddy, similar for you, sport pretty big growing up? Watching it, yeah. Not yeah. participating, really. I remember my father getting uh, myself and my brother up to watch uh, Muhammad Ali fighting Brian London. Got us up out of bed to watch it. And in those days, you warmed up the telly. You just, you know, it didn't come on when you turned it on. You had to <laughs> hope for the best, you know. And he went into the kitchen to put on the kettle. And by the time the telly was warmed up and he came back into the sitting room, Brian London was on his back. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we watched the Ali fights particularly are a great memory and then I'd watch football. I became a Chelsea fan because I was watching the 1967 FA Cup final with my father mm. and I decided I was up for Chelsea, you know. So it's been a, a life uh, commitment, really. When you say you decided you were up for Chelsea, how did you make, why did you decide they were the team you were supporting? I just, I don't know, I, I can't even say because they were wearing blue because it was black and white so I didn't know what colour they were wearing <laughs> except they were darker than Spurs. And I didn't know where Chelsea was either, you know. But I just decided something or other, I don't know what, um, I just decided I was up for them. And then, it be, you know, I started then keeping an eye on the results and then, it be, you know, it was a bit like the proverbial rabbit hole. You go down and you never come back up, really, you know. It's, so it became a huge part of my life. Was it a huge part of bonding with your dad like it is for a lot of people? In, looking back on it, he was incredibly generous in that he brought me to, I don't think he had any huge love for football, but he brought me to youth internationals in Daly Mountain. He brought me, I remember there was an FAI Cup semi-final in Tolka Park. And I saw it was on that night, you know, it was on the back of the um, evening press. And I saw it was on and I saw, oh, can we go there, can we go? And he brought me, you know, so that, he fed the habit really. So he was incredibly, and he brought us, um, when I was playing football, when I was, you know, up to about 13, he'd bring us to matches, to the away matches, you know, and um, the type of personality he had, I was told later that, you know, the lads always hoped they'd get into the back of his car because it was always good crack. Okay. Mm. That's the, the ultimate honour, I think, for any for that, sporting uh, yeah. father. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If you're the one that the kids want to pile into the back of the van or, or the car. Sinead, page one of Constellations, um, you're writing about the beginnings of your health problems as a teenager. And you say from basketball and sprinting to bone sore with a limp, hospital stays became frequent and I missed the first three months of school for four years in a row. 
so it sounds like you obviously played a lot of sport up to then, did you? Yeah, I did. I loved it. And I was really, I was a really fast runner and there was a basketball team in the school. Um, we used to have an indoor hockey thing with a plastic puck. We'd play in the hall and I loved that. And I was really into it and I'd kick around the ball with my brothers as well. But um, that all kind of stopped. And again, obviously, like I have a hip replacement now. So the idea of contact sports would not be something I'd be allowed to do. Um, it'd be disastrous. So I, I kind of... I mean, they were very, I talk about in the book, they were very lonely years and, you know, books and music kept me together because I was in hospital a lot or I was on crutches or immobile. But but also I did watch, I, you know, forgotten this, I'd watched a lot of football because if you're stuck at home, you can watch a lot of matches. So those kind of things. So the, I guess the, the absence of sport is a bit of a grief for me in a way in that I can't really do it. I mean, I can still go swimming and things like that, but there's a lot of things that would be inadvisable for me to do. So the fact that it stopped so suddenly that I didn't have, you know, I didn't give up on it or I didn't have time to phase out. It was just, that's the end of that. So I guess maybe I carry a little of that with me, maybe. Did you feel resentful of sport at the time? What I mean, watching other people play, knowing that 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 was something you couldn't do. I wouldn't say re- resentful. I don't think I'm kind of very resentful kind of person, but I'd say a certain amount of sadness. Yeah, knowing that this isn't this is the end of this road for me. It's not going to happen. You know, all my dreams of scoring in FA Cup finals or anything like that are all kind of gone. But yeah, I think that that age as well. Being I just gone thirteen, it's a very pivotal kind of informative age you know you, everything's very indelible you feel all your feelings mm-hmm. um, um, so I, yeah maybe I did um, I think it took a long time to to figure that out and again I, it took me a long time to write this book because I think sometimes when you go through something very difficult you, all you're trying to do is survive and get through it and not, and not be, you don't have time to think oh, is it terrible I'm not playing football as opposed to I need to have another operation um, so I think I didn't think about it at the time and I think I packed away a lot of the, th- the feelings I felt about that time in my life, including how I felt about not being able to do a lot of physical things. Like even, you know, I can I can cycle a bike now. I couldn't do that for years before I had my hip replaced and I really missed that because again, cycling off on your bike to meet your pals. So just little incremental things that everybody else takes for granted that you think, you know, that you always think you'd be able to do and then you can't. So yeah, they're all very linked. But when I thought about it a lot later and I came to write the book, I did think a lot about it. And, and you know, sport and football and those things do creep into the book in places. Well, even just the whole idea of, as you, you say, the body is an afterthought, which mm. is a sort of central theme of the early part of that book. And I guess that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, you, you literally, I mean, no one thinks about their body unless something awful happens to it or, or there's something very nice going on. Um, you don't think about it. It's literally, you know, that old line about your, your health is your wealth. And, it, and unless there's a, and I always say illness, apart from it being a very frightening thing, it's a very boring thing. There's a lot of mundanity to illness. It's also a massive disruption and interruption to your life because it just gets in the way of all the plans you had and the things you were going to do and the places you were going to go and the footballing career I was clearly going to have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's... I, I I want to remind people all the time that we don't think about these things. We don't think about our mortality often until unless something massively catastrophic happens to us or someone we love. And it's always mindful. I'm always you know, explain to my own kids, you know, all your limbs work, you're able to move around, you can see, you can hear. Remind yourself of that all the time because most of us don't. Being a fan then, did that become a social outlet for you? I used to go to see St. Pat's when I was a lot younger. And again, I remember in 1988, which was, you know, obviously a huge year in Irish football, but I spent that whole year on crutches. But we'd get into the car and go off to like Derry, Derryland and go away, go up to the Brandywell and Derry, go and see St. Pat's away. And, you know, it didn't always go great, but you were just all in. So you'd go to the away games and the home games. So I think it's definitely, I'm sure I watched a lot more because I wasn't able to participate. So we'd go to, I'd go and watch football, you know, in people's houses or I'd go out and meet like my brothers and stuff. And again, some of my big football moments are, you know, are watching them in the pub. Um, 
and I feel like it's a very communal thing. It's 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 you know, it's, for some people, music is a very communal thing. You like to be around people where there's sing songs or there's parties, whatever. For some people, it's a very solitary thing. But I love watching football with other people. I mean, if I have to watch it my own, I will. But it's just there's something about being out and going out for a pint to watch a match that's very, you can't really beat it. Is that what you find as well? I think the the the, the one time where it really, really worked out for me was Italia 90. It was extraordinary watching games in the pub that time, even though sometimes the games weren't all that good. The atmosphere was just so unexpected. I'd never experienced anything remotely like it. In you, should, you should have written a book about that or involving <laughs> that in some way. I was thinking that myself, but it's too late now. <laughs> no, the, the, I find it's, like, you're a great person to talk about this because having written the van and having set that, it's, the women are obviously in the World Cup now next year. Mm. Does that have the capacity, do you think, in a certain way to be impactful on Irish society in the way Italia 90 was when we qualified for it for the first time? I think it does, yeah. I think it does. I think uh, there was a... It's like an adventure. It's like, in a way, watching the, the women's Euros last summer was a bit like watching a new cut of an old film, if that makes sense. It was like, at one point, Ellen White, the English centre-forward, she always reminds me of uh, Alan Clark, who used to play for Leeds in the 60s and 70s, even the way she moves, you know, and the way she positions herself. And then there were other players, and I was thinking, they don't remind me of any men at all. They're players, you know. Mm. So it's like watching a new a new version of an old sport in some ways, and it's very refreshing and uh, even the noise, you know, there were, you know, with decades of listening to men roaring and now we're listening to women and children and men roaring. And it's a different timbre to it and all. So it's like a different soundtrack almost. Mm-hmm. So it's um, so I think the potential is there. Obviously, if it's Ireland, you're going to be cheering anyway. And they all come across to me as a great bunch of women, you know, great personalities. And uh, so I, I think it could potentially be huge. And it's on in the summer. You know, when it should be. Sinead, in Constellations, you talk about the day of the repeal vote and the the Mm. different Ireland that your daughter could expect. Do you think you can place this World Cup coming up next year in that wider context? It it can be another thing that helps make a different future possible for young Irish women? Yeah, absolutely. Again, we all know that line, you know, if you you don't see it, you can't be it. And I think that's hugely relevant to sport where statistically you see where girls, for whatever reasons of body image or whatever it is, drop off um, from from all sorts of sports um, as they hit their teens and, and, and older years. Um, and for me, absolutely. Again, when I, if I had seen this going on when I was younger, it would have been such a big deal. And I do remember, you know, there's, there was years ago. It's not the same. It's not as good. Mm. Um, and then you and then you start to see like, you know, it's pretty in England where you'd see like male, like Phil Neville for one, um, managing female teams. Um, and that made a difference. And again, you know, I, I watched again, the Euros, and I've watched the, the, when the, the Americans won the World Cup as well with my son, and it didn't matter to him that it was women. He was just, that's great, there's more football on the telly. And that's the way it should be, you know. Um, and I, I think they did us so proud. I'm really excited about what they're going to do in the competition. Um, but yeah, I, I'm. it's about time. That's what it feels like to me. And again, even watching the World Cup coverage, you see like, you know, Stephanie Roach, Anna's a pundit, you've got Joanna and Claire doing the, the, presenta- the presenting, like, I never thought of you'd see anything like that when I was watching football for years. So there, it's, it's getting there. There was also the specific story of that this Ireland team, where they co- came from standing up to the FAI in the way that they had to do a number of years ago. So they really, in a very easily defined way, had to fight for where they are now. 
Which also goes to show you what would they've been capable about it, if, capable of yeah. if they'd gotten the, mm. the the stuff that they were asking for very basic things. Um, it just seemed to me like what they would have been capable of had they been taken a little bit more seriously. And I think maybe they'd been told not to speak up a little bit about that kind of stuff before. But um, but thankfully that's changed. It's it's more exciting. You've seen this with Kelly Harrington this year mm. as well, with whom you won the Sports Book of the Year award as well, which she had to forge for herself, really. Yeah, yeah that's part of her, a big part of her story. But it's interesting when I, you know, I'm talking to somebody from outside the country about what I've been up to, you know, because the first half of this year I was working on the book with Kelly. And, um, you know, what are you doing? And I'm working on a book with a boxer. Mm. And I don't feel the need. Obviously, if you go a bit deeper, you know, and mm. she, she won a gold medal, you know. But I don't feel the need to qualify it by saying with a woman boxer. It doesn't make sense anymore somehow or other. She's a boxer. I mean, Katie Taylor, I suppose, was there from the beginning, bashing her way through prejudice uh, and doing it brilliantly. And then, you know, Kelly and other women follow afterwards, you know. So, But again, it just feels so perfectly natural. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, even the idea, I, we're getting to a place now where even things like female and, and binaries like that are getting to be a little bit redundant. You know, I, I've edited anthologies of that are all female and the only reason why I did it because there was a lot of imbalance in the past history of the Irish anthology and that's why I did it. So I, I hope there'll be a day where we won't need those prefixes. It'll just be writer, boxer, footballer, yeah. you know. Roddy, you are a regular at Bowes matches, is that right? I am, yeah, yeah, I have a season ticket. I'm a member. Is that know. a long time? No, not really. I, I think I got my first four seasons ago. Um... I used to go in the late 70s, the early 80s on Sunday afternoons, you know, then life got complicated and, you know, children and things arrive and um, I don't know, I drifted away. I'd keep an eye on Bose results. But a friend's son, uh, Dinny Corcoran, was playing for Bose and we were always saying, oh, we'll go, we must go, we must go. And there's a sadness to it in a way because one of us, uh, a friend of mine called Ronnie, um, uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumour just at the time when we were going to go. So we went, but Ronnie wasn't with us, you know. So in a way, during his illness, it became something more. It was it became something more than just going to a football match, you mm. know. I don't know quite how to capture it, but it was just, it allowed us, I'm talking about men, like we're all in our 60s who grew up together. Uh, it allowed us to be kids, you know, on a Friday evening. And to shout and roar in the same way. And the atmosphere is brilliant at, at Daily Mount, just brilliant. So I got a season ticket, I got a membership and I've, I'll, I'll keep it up because um, it's added so much to, you know, life. And it's just, I even love, you know, just walking up the North Circular on the way up, you know, regardless of the weather. And when the weather's bad, it comes at you full force down the North Circular, you know, stopping you, trying to stop you from getting to Daily Mount. But I love that walk. I just love every part of it. The pint in the hut over to the match, you know, the even the chips at half time, everything about it. And listening to kids and uh, listening to adults talking shite, um, <laughs> including me. Um, it's just the whole thing. You know, it's a world. Yeah. And it's a world I step into and just feel so at home and happy. Do you bring your own kids, Sinead? I I haven't been going as much, but my son has gotten really obsessively into St. Pat's and, um, you know, hangs around and chats to the players after the game and has a, a little <laughs> Instagram Pat's group and all the rest of it. He's really has a signed jersey over his bed with all their names. 
goes to has a season ticket that's the christmas present i can say that now um he is obsessed with it you know and just loves him and has been heartbroken recently by by tunday going to to cork to play for cork he was his favorite player so yeah i so i prop but i promised him and this year i was trying to finish a book and i was just my head was very in that and i said okay in the new year i'm going to start going back to the matches with you so my dad goes and both my brothers go and my nephew goes oh, right, so, so wow it's a really it's a whole, so it's a really family, big my mom sometimes family, so i yeah. so i'm feeling like okay i'm gonna have to step up and my husband goes as well sometimes so I'm like right I, I have to go back so I promised him that's the new year resolution I'm going back to see more Pats you, games you account for about half the, bo- the <laughs> yeah, St. Pats crowd like don't stop uh, see I, I was expecting a competitive edge to start coming out sooner rather than later there's a lovely photo that we've seen of you Roddy celebrating it. think of Dawson DeVoy yeah, yeah at the beginning of the season last season that is before we began, it began to dawn on us that it was going to be a terrible season. <laughs> it was a brilliant call and he just celebrated in an old-fashioned way. He didn't do the samba or a dance routine. He just jumped in the air and punched the stars, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, I didn't realise there was a photograph being taken, but somebody sent it to me, just myself and my friend Paul, kind of celebrating and looking as happy as we would have done as if we were 13, you know. So I think it captures, in a way, just um, what football can be. Yeah, and it, listening to the to the pair of you, so much of it is about childhood and basically trying to experience childhood again, whether that's through the eyes of your sons or sons and daughters, or whether it's actually just you reminding yourself of your own childhood. And I think that that's really, in a lot of ways, uh, the thing that keeps bringing us back to sport, really, isn't it? Just that link back to childhood, or at least trying to feel like a child again. I do think, yeah, there's a certain truth in what you say, but I try to do the same thing when I'm when I'm reading. I try to read with the same enthusiasm and vim that I would have read it, you know, when I was 14 or 15 or 21 or 27, as opposed to 64, you know. Nothing wrong with being 64, obviously, but... Um, and the same with listening to music and everything, really, you know. But I think football uh, does it more immediately than anything else. I, I think I, if, I hear, if I hear a band conf- uh, formed of 20-year-olds, I feel a certain distance, often in the lyrics, I don't get it. Uh, I don't know what they've been listening to to achieve the sound that they have. And I don't feel hostile towards it, but I don't get it. But if you see, you know, a, a, some young lad coming on as a sub, and when they're standing on the edge of the pitch, they look the age they are, 17 or 18. But when they run onto the pitch, they're men. Or presumably women, you know, but it it just seems there's a I don't know. Football doesn't change in a way. Tactics change, and the the bullshit that people talk changes, and the presentation of the football on the telly changes. But the game itself just doesn't change, really. All right. Well, you're listening to a second Captain Saturday New Year's Eve special with two of Ireland's greatest authors, Roddy Doyle, a Booker Prize winner, of course. But did you know that he is also honorary president of the mighty Kilbarrick United? And of course, we're all impressed by Sinead Gleeson's Irish Book of the Year Award for Constellations. But we're even more impressed by the fact that she was in the Sellers Park Stadium in London in August 1996 when a 21-year-old David Beckham scored the goal from the halfway line that launched him into superstar. Wow. Whatever happened to that, that Beckham guy? Yeah. There have been some ups and downs in that story over the years. Yeah. Sinead and Roddy are good friends, but that friendship will be put to the test after the break when they take part in our first ever second captain's This Sporting Life head-to-head battle. That's coming right up. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Second captains on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Audi Ireland. Future is an attitude. Second captain, first captain, whatever. 
This is a Second Captain Saturday New Year's Eve special with Owen and Murph. It's a very different show than we usually do with two guests pitting their sporting lives against each other today. The brilliant Sinead Gleeson and Roddy Doyle. Murph is soldiering through here, recording from his home studio slash sickbed. Murph, you, I, I, I'm afraid you can't be here to see this, but I can mm. inform you, the look of fear in the eyes of Sinead <laughs> and Roddy. It's, it's something to behold as they prepare for you to judge God. their sporting lives. You've got a lot of, you just, you do know you have a lot of power in your hands here. I know, I know. I, I need to use it as judiciously as possible, you know, but <laughs> that old line about power corrupting and absolute power corrupting, absolutely. It's all very true. Mm. If I could offer some contradictory evidence, I would, <laughs> on, but that's just been my experience. You're feeding it there today. Right, Sinead, it's time to start impressing Murph here, okay? I'm okay. fairly certain nobody will know this next fact. This has to be a world exclusive. Can you tell us where you had your first ever published work. Oh, God, yeah. Um, in the, the kind of 1990s, the, the kind of heyday in the run-up to the, before, when the, before the travel happened, um, United, one of the best United teams, in my opinion, um, they had a magazine, and I think it was called United. I know there's one called Inside United now, but it was just United in big font across the top. And it, it sold more at the time than 442 did. And every week there was a letters page, and I would read the letters, and any time they printed a letter from a woman, it was often... Lee Sharp is so dreamy. What's his star sign? And, and it, after weeks of it, I just went, that's it. So I, I wrote a letter and I can't remember what the whole letter was, but the last lines were, most women who watch football are watching what the players do with their feet and not their arses. And I <laughs> sent off my indig- indignant from Dublin or whatever, sent off the letter. And um, a couple of weeks later, I, had, I used to buy it, so I hadn't bought it yet. And a friend of my brother said, is that your sister? In the, is that your sister in the magazine? And I was like, oh God. So it was the star letter. So I got 50 quid in United Jersey. And, and ah, but, but my righteous amazing. indignation on the page, more importantly. So yeah, I got the star letter. So yes, yeah, so that was probably the first thing. So in, in the United magazine, yeah. Amazingly, Roddy, that story is not Sinead's sporting highlight. So you should, you should be squirming uncomfortably. Because if that's only her second best sporting <laughs> highlight, then you're in a bit of bother here. What is your sporting highlight, Sinead? When I think about it, my sporting highlight is actually very connected to Roddy in a way in that my one, I I was was meeting Roy Keane and it was a really, I I met him accidentally in that I got to do this. I did this thing and later on, uh, I I had leukaemia some years back and I did a lot of talking about donating blood and platelets for the Irish Blood Transfusion Board. And one day they rang me and said, do you want to come and do a thing? Because we're trying to make the case that one in four people will need blood, but with the Ireland football team. And there'll be three players and one of them might be Roy Keane. I was like, I am there. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the day, I don't know what was going on with Roy, but he couldn't do it. Um, and I was crestfallen and didn't let on, but it was like very lovely. It was Kenny Cunningham, Shay Given and uh, Clinton Morrison. And there's a photo which is hanging up from my parents' house. They're delighted about it. Um, and waiting for the taxi with the girl from the blood transfusion board when we were leaving. It's that, you know, the hotel where they train at near Malahide when they're, Oh, yeah, out near yeah, the airport. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it was out there and I'm sitting in the reception kind of going, oh, that was it. Next thing I see himself and I was like, okay, if I don't do it now, I'm just going to go. And now I know now that he doesn't like photographs. I didn't know that at the time, <laughs> but I went up and he was very polite. He was very nice. So I have my photograph of Roy, which my brother, younger brother, who I watch matches with, I'm going to watch the United Burnley game them tonight. Um, he got a jigsaw of the photograph made for me. So I have a 36-piece jigsaw <laughs> of myself and Roy Keane. With Roy standing beside me going, who's this woman who's run across yeah. this lobby to, to get a photograph with me? But it's, be- it's because I just, I think he was, at the time, I think he was the greatest midfielder in Europe. I think he's one of the greatest players that have played for United in Ireland. I think he's an incredible pundit. I, I love the way he does not care what people think about him. He's very forthright in what he says and he just, a lot of interesting, brilliant charity things that he doesn't bang on about mm. and doesn't need to tell everybody about on the internet. So I, I, I like him on multiple levels, but I just think he was 
an incredible player to watch. I have seen a few videos of him not reacting quite so kindly to photographs being taken. So I'm glad I don't. You, I didn't know that. You, at got the him, time. you got him at the right time, all right. And we have put a picture of this jigsaw. Amazing work by your brother. We put a jigsaw on uh, on social media. A picture of this. I believe you put it together again just for us. Just to have a look at it, yeah. And again, also just going. Okay, and my hair was that curly because I I'd gotten chemo and it had grown back and stuff. But yeah, Roy just looks a little bit terrified, I think. But um, it also no, love to see those old Aircom sponsored jerseys. That's one you can still. It's kind of peeking out from under his tracksuit top. But yeah, I just think you know they say don't meet your hairs, but I'm glad I, I met Roy. I think he's just incredible. You met Roy, obviously. Once a week for quite a while. Yeah. Roy, it was brilliant experience. Uh, great man to work with. Great company. Uh, I really enjoyed meeting him every time. He's great crack. And like Kelly, he got it. You know, he knew what I was trying to do. And um, he wanted to do it as well, you know. So it was uh, just a brilliant experience. And everything that Sinead says about him, I think, is bang on, you know. What about yourself? What's your... Well, I, I, I can actually tell you, Roddy, because I read an amazing quote you had a while back. To say I was never any good at football might imply that I was mediocre. I wasn't. I was shy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure if the word shite quite captures. But, uh, I played occasionally for Kilbarrick United, I say the under 13s or something. I can't remember exactly what category. And I was normally a sub. And uh, there was one Sunday morning we were playing kind of, I'm picturing February. It was a miserably cold day. And the usual left back hadn't turned up. So I was told to go on, you know. So I was quite pleased, going to play. I think it was against, I'm not sure, again, I think it might have been against Holt Celtic. So you were a bass player as well then? I was, yeah, <laughs> I would have been, uh, with the odd vocal. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I think the game was on about two minutes when the normal left-back came running across the field and they took me off. <laughs> oh, no. It was John Anderson. And he went on to play for Newcastle United oh, yeah. and West Brom and Ireland. And Ireland course, yeah. a few times, yeah. And even at that age, he was a year younger than me, I think, which doubled the humiliation. But actually, we all knew he was a brilliant player, uh, even then, you know, when he was a little lad. And um, uh, so at least the humiliation, I suppose, over the years, I never quite recovered from it. I do have to say that. But it was sugared somewhat by the fact that it was a really excellent footballer who basically ended my career. But I stormed off anyway. Oh, did you? you didn't <laughs> straight, take it well. straight down the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a pitch, but we had a, t- we had a tunnel. <laughs> did you get a touch? Did you even touch the ball? You know, I don't think I did. No. My memory, again, we're going back a bit, but it's a better story if I didn't. Isn't yeah, it? we'll yeah. just go with that. Yeah, yeah so yeah, no, yeah. I didn't get a touch of the ball. Yeah. What about today? Are you you said you're, you're... Yeah, after when, you know, during the first lockdown, when we went from two kilometres to five, you know, the permitted distance, yeah. I walked to Fairview and bought a bike. I'd had a bike about two, 20 years beforehand, but... Um, the remains are still strapped to uh, Trinity railings, I think. You know? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you know, that'll be a little plaque beside, <laughs> beside the wheel and the rusty I, chair. I've one or two of those as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bought a bike anyway, and just I even it was so long since I'd really cycled. I was wondering, can you still do it? But yeah, just got on it during the summer months, particularly. It's, it's I get out early and have a cycle before I do any work or that. So it, it's added a certain amount. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of exhilarating as well. And it's a nice way to look at the world when you're gone. You know, the seagulls tend to be really 
doubly interesting when you're whizzing past them. <laughs> well, listen, it's been a really great chat. It is a shame that we have to spoil it now by choosing between you because you, you've both been such wonderful guests. Murph, I don't envy you this role. Mm. First of all, are you guys ready? Who's, are your confidence levels? Which way do I storm out? <laughs> Sinead, you're looking super I'm near at the door, so I'm ready well, to that's run. True. Yeah. Okay, Murph, could you please deliver the results of the first ever second captains, This Sporting Life, head to head? You don't understand. I could have had class. We don't have stars in this game, Mrs. Weaver. Well, what do you have then? People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Okay, Roddy, Sinead, it's time to bite the bullet. This is the first time we've had two people face off against each other, so I must now assess your all-time sporting highlight, pick an athlete that I feel most closely resembles both of you, and then present you with a score out of 100 to discover which one of you will be crowned our super special New Year's Eve non-sports person, sports person champion. To Sinead first, and the fact that your first ever published work was in United Magazine is a point bonanza, quite frankly. Also your ownership of a Roy Keane jigsaw puzzle, which is a cherished family heirloom and will be for generations to come. I mean, we're doing very well here. Sure, Roddy did, of course, write one of the great Irish sports books with Roy Keane. <laughs> Definite points for that. But is he in a jigsaw puzzle with Roy Keane? The answer, listeners, is no. Sticking with Roddy, the Irish chronicler of Italian Anti, while you're sporting highlight, as you've just told us, showing future Ireland international John Anderson what could happen if he failed to take his football seriously, reminds me of nothing more than a young Brian Kerr, whose careful husbandry of young Irish football talent meant his own lim- limitations on the field were never seen as a hindrance. And as for you, Sinead, well, Norman Whiteside had played in the World Cup and scored the winner in an FA Cup final for your beloved Man United before he'd barely gotten out of his teens. So while your own sporting career may have been brief, that doesn't mean it wasn't notable. So, this is quite complicated. I reckon your love of Bulls and your benevolent presidency of Kilbarrick United, let's not forget that, minus your lack of any sporting ability of any kind, <laughs> has all the ingredients for a total of 76 points, Roddy. Okay. Now, crossing Pretty to Sinead, you get a head start because of the sporting romance of your adorable Man United loving parents. <laughs> and as your career, career in journalism, broadcasting and writing all started with a Man United fanzine as a football-obsessed woman in her 20s, you're already pushed towards the 75-point mark. <laughs> But I've just gotten information in my ear here that you also worked the 2002 RT Sport World Cup website live ticker. Is this true? I absolutely did. Uh, I was working on RT anyway, and they were asking if anybody know anything about sport and they need people to do the live matches. You know, literally like so-and-so across to so-and-so. And I was like, yeah, I do. Mm. I know all the players. I'll do it. So, so I did. Yeah, it was great. Wow. Well, with this information to hand, Sinead, you too have made it to 76 points. Wow, it's a tiebreaker. Oh, <laughs> Although you may remember me mentioning a bonus New Year's Eve round earlier, and it's to that bonus New Year's Eve round we must now I turn. I get my coat. <laughs> you both have the chance to add five points by answering the special bonus question. Sinead, here's your question first. Your sporting highlight was a treasured photograph with Roy Keane, made all the more special after the devastation of having to pose with Clinton Morrison, Kenny Cunningham and Shay Given. But who out of Shay, Kenny and Clinton has the most Ireland caps? Oh, it, it would have to be Shay, wouldn't it? would indeed be Shay Given. Sinead, absolutely correct. Five extra points for Sinead. Roddy, the Italian IT penalty shootout scene in the van is something none of us will ever forget. But can you remember who took the second penalty that day for Romania? <laughs> oh, come on. 
Can I have Sinead's question instead, <laughs> please? Uh, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. All I can do is go by the, the quiz master. We, we all here have those Romanian penalty takers seared on our brain, right? I only know the first and the fifth. You do? Yeah. Hadji was the first one, wasn't he? Go on, yeah. And Tofti? <sighs> Sinead. More <laughs> bonus points. Roddy, the second penalty taker for me. I haven't a clue. Uh, Romelu. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, Roddy. It was, of course, the Dinamo Bucharest sensation. Danit Lupu. <laughs> so, Danit Lupu, of course, he I went on to fame and fortune. Yeah, yeah. So, with 81 points, Sinead Gleeson, you are our New Year's Eve non-sports person, sports person champion. I feel like it's the Oscars and I have to bring Roddy on stage as well and say we're going to share the award. Can I do that? Is that allowed? I don't want it. Nah. <laughs> there you go. It's you all can, yours, Sinead. You, Rod- can, oh, you can shove it. Roddy. <laughs> Roddy, there's the door to store bed. Thanks for coming. Listen, Bridget, so if you're comfortable with your second placer. Oh, yeah, runner-up. Brilliant. Runner-up, not bad. Brilliant. Sinead, me. happy? I'm very happy. Yeah. As, as, as happy as... Uh, as Packy Bonner saving that penalty against Brilliant. <laughs> well, listen, you've both been absolutely amazing. What a great way to spend the day. Thanks so much for coming into us. And I think a round of applause for both Sinead Gleeson and Roddy Doyle. Ramones and Blitzkrieg Bop should keep you in the New Year's Eve mood. History has been made here on Second Captain Saturday. Sinead Gleeson emerging victorious against her now former friend, Roddy Doyle. <laughs> what fantastic guests the two of them were. Roddy is crying foul there towards you. Oh, Murph, mm. okay. Perhaps you did wait those tiebreak questions a tad unevenly. But let's give Sinead her due. She did recall that Georgie Hadji took the first Romanian penalty. Honestly, if you ask the entire Ireland squad from that day, I'd be surprised if more than a handful would remember mm. that level of detail. I feel like pa- I feel like Packy would remember. Well, Packy would remember. Well, he would because I'm looking at it right now. I'm watching it here. She's 100% correct. Hadji absolutely leathers it to the back of the net. Packy Bonner is... like It's unsavable and yet Packy Bonner is admonishing himself for not saving it. Packy, give yourself a break well, on that one. This, your big moment is the, not far away. <laughs> yeah, the, the high standards that he uh, held himself to paid off in the end there, all this, I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, Murph. I mean, listen, you, you know, you're either a historian of Italian 90 or you're not. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, Roddy, if you feel like you've been hard done by, but we thought that was your specialist subject. <laughs> I'm sorry. Congratulations to Sinead on that remarkable achievement and to Roddy Doyle as well. Thank you to the two of them for coming in. Murph, you've done it. You've made it to the end of the show. I think your bed may be calling you there. <laughs> I've emptied the tank, Owen. I've emptied the tank. I'm, I'm really like have. James Brown at the end of a concert. I'm just <laughs> waiting for someone to throw a cape over me and lead me off, off stage and to my bed. I will do that virtually if that's possible. Listen, I hope you enjoyed that Second Captain's New Year's Eve special. We'll see you again soon on Radio 1. Check us out in the meantime, Monday to Friday, 
on secondcaptains.com. This has been a Second Captains production for RTE. Thank you to Johnny Lanagon in RTE, Simon Hick in Second Captains, Mark Horgan is our series producer. Thanks, Murph. Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Owen, and a very happy New Year to you and yours. But before we go and before we sign off from Radio 1 for 2022, we thought we'd play out with our sporting moment of the year and something we all have to look forward to in 2023. We talked about it earlier with Sinead and Roddy. So here is the moment the Republic of Ireland qualified for next year's World Cup, courtesy of Donegal's Amber Barrett. Have a great new year, everyone. Second cap, first cap, and whatever. She's done it! What a goal for Ireland! And she's given Ireland the lead! And there's the run of Barrett. And Barrett's giving herself a chance here. Amber Barrett in on goal. Amber Barrett! Makes the run through. That was sheer brilliance from Amber Barrett. The first touch to take her clear was absolutely terrific. Kneels in celebration in honour of the Donegal folk who passed away in the disaster in Chrysler. What a moment for the Donegal girl. This is going to change your life, you know that. It's going to change Ireland, women's football in Ireland. That's what we want to do. We want to inspire the next generation of kids in Ireland. We've, we're, we're able to do that next year at the World Cup in Australia. Book your tickets. We're going to a World Cup, mate. Unbelievable. We're buzzing! Second Captains on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Audi Ireland. Future is an attitude.